The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end of game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. That quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Pumped to be back in on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. NFL Wild Card Weekend in the books. A pretty good one. A fun weekend of watching football. We got some great local stuff as well. Good news for UVM men's basketball. Cats women's hockey team, excellent. Congratulations to George Como on winning Vermont Sportscaster of the Year for the 11th time and his first time since 2011. Also Alex Abrami of the Free Press for winning Sports Writer of the Year. Congratulations to both of them. Love having them on and in the show and love having them just kind of in our sports media community. Tom Karen's going to join us in about 15 minutes. Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, host of the Red Sox pre- and post-game show on Nesson. Interesting Sox rumors about maybe trading Andrew Benatendi, so that's going to come up at 545. So, uh, guys, no time to waste. As, as is usual, you can text in at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. Go. All right. Plenty of people texting in already, by the way, so we'll kind of sprinkle in those texts that have already come in throughout the show. Uh, my opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby. You can find them online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to start with this, something I've really never talked about on this show, was the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going to start there because there's a reason behind it. In a year that's forced us all to be really far apart from each other, the Cleveland Browns have found a way to bring my dad and I closer together, and for that I am grateful. It's been fun to bond over the Cleveland Browns with my dad. Now, first, I want to start with this. Okay, My dad and I have a great relationship. This is not some sad sap story about how we don't speak or we didn't get along and this one thing has been the one thing we can come together on. That That is not the case. My dad and I get along. We've always gotten along. But this year, in this weird year where we can't see each other and we can't hang out outside of a couple of meetups to play golf in the summer, okay, and we had to miss Thanksgiving, in this weird year where we haven't been able to be around each other, the Cleveland Browns have found a way to to keep my dad and I close during this time. And for that, I am grateful. It's been a hard year for everyone because of the pandemic. It was a hard 2020. It's been a hard first 10 and a half days of 2021, okay? I haven't been able to give my dad a hug in like a year. Same with my mom. I don't live at home. I live three hours away. And as you get older, you know, you bond still with your parents, but you bond about different things, right? You don't bond like you did when you were younger. And the one thing that allows me and my dad to bond like we used to bond is sports. We play golf. We play tennis. You know, when he's able to come visit, we'll we'll go shoot hoops or whatever, throw the, throw the baseball around still. Um, we'll do all those things. Sports is the thing that we can still bond over that makes me feel young and I'm sure in turn makes him feel young as well. Um, so as you get older, you have a little less to bond about, but sports has always been there for us. And what we had this year in sports was the Cleveland Browns. Okay, I'm not a Browns fan by nature, 
but I do love my dad, so I've always had a soft spot for the Browns, and I've always rooted for them to be relevant, even amidst all the years of when they haven't been. A couple of years ago, we went to Cleveland, and we sat in the upper deck for like an 0-11 Browns team against the Baltimore Ravens, and the Browns subsequently went 1-15 that season, and you know we had a blast, though. They were awful. The game itself wasn't played very well. It was almost empty. It was the middle of December. It was freezing, but we had a blast, and I've been waiting for the Browns to get good for him, okay? He's lived. He's, he's been a Browns fan for 55 years. He's lived through the drive, the fumble, the team moving, the failed quarterbacks, the organizational dysfunction. He even bailed on them for a time when we lived in North Carolina. And he, he's like, hey, I'm going to adopt the Panthers because this isn't worth it. The Browns didn't exist when we got to North Carolina. And then when the Browns did exist, they were bad. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to like the Panthers. But I always knew. I always knew that he'd come back. If the team was ever good, he'd come back to them. And this was the year where he got to come back to them. Gone was the disappointment. Gone was the was the failure. Gone was the heartache of the team leaving after the 95 season. It just all of it was gone this year. And every Sunday, I made a point to watch a little bit of the Browns. I watched I watched the Browns, I think, every weekend this season except for one. And I watched a lot of them full full on. I would watch the Patriots on one TV and have the volume up and I have the I'd have the Browns on my tablet and stream the game that way and watch the game there. And I didn't always have the sound on, but I was always watching and he and I are texting back and forth about the Browns and we did it every single Sunday or Monday or Thursday whenever they were playing. And it was a cool way to in this really tough year that has forced us all to be far apart. It was a really cool way for us to come together. And uh like, you know, hey, I made a point to watch every single, a little bit of every single Browns game, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And look, they're playing with house money. They very well might get beat 37 to 10 next week by the Chiefs, but they also, they very well may pull off another stunner because they weren't supposed to win yesterday. And I don't know what'll happen, but I know that I'll be texting my dad during the game when they play the Chiefs. So 802-585-3026. If you are a dad text in because I think those moments that he probably has with me are important to him. And if you are a son, you know what it's like to, you know, be in contact with your dad and to have a shared love of sports. I mean, my dad's a guy that, you know, used to go out and throw me balls, wiffle balls I'd hit over the house and he'd chase them down the street and we'd shoot hoops together. And when I finally beat him in hoops, it was like the greatest day of my life at the time. So, um, you know, sports is, is a bonding thing. I bond with my mom over sports, too, because she knows a whole lot about it, and she's incredibly knowledgeable also. But uh, it's been really fun this year in particular to have this new bond that we haven't been able to have forever because the Browns have been so bad. So usually it's just me complaining about my teams, and the Browns aren't worth complaining about. This year we got to go the other way and share in that, so that was a lot of fun. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, guys, let's get to – let's give me a little music. All right, as part of our kind of evolution of the show, remember, now that football season, at least from the Patriots' perspective, is over, we're kind of shifting and moving some of our segments around. We're still doing them. We're just doing them in different spots in different ways. So usually we unpack the Patriots at this time, right? That's what we would do after a Patriots game. We can't unpack the Patriots anymore. So now – Unpacking the weekend, and we'll have a sounder for it here made up, but unpacking the weekend is where we're going to go. Number one. The NFL weekend storylines were largely what we thought they would be. When we talked on Friday and we did our six-pack of questions, it was largely it played out largely how we thought. 
We said the player we wanted to see most was Russell Wilson. Could he right the ship of that Seahawks offense? He couldn't. 11 of 27, 174 yards only. He threw just a horrendous pick six. A motion Metcalf to the left side, away from Ramsey again. Throw the bubble, it's picked! It's picked! Darius Williams jumped it, and he's going to house it! A pick six, a defensive touchdown, and the Rams extend their lead! Rams won that one 30 to 20. The Seahawks were never as good as their record indicated to me. They were a product. They were good. They were not great. I never thought that that team was going to win the Super Bowl. They got to beat up on the AFC East. They got to beat up on the NFC East. I mean, so they did what they were supposed to do. They beat Dallas. They beat Washington. They beat the Eagles. They got upset by the Giants, which was atrocious at the time without Daniel Jones playing at home. They got beat by Colt McCoy. That was horrendous. Then they beat the Patriots, who we found out weren't that great. They beat Miami at a time when they had lost three straight and Fitzpatrick was playing and Tua wasn't in and the defense wasn't as, as good. They get to beat the Jets, who at the time were winless, and they, they got smoked by Buffalo. I never thought the Seahawks were that great. Russell Wilson, he is great, but the Rams controlled the line of scrimmage. The Seahawks had a weird offensive philosophy that they couldn't overcome in this one. Look, maybe with fans in Seattle, maybe the game is different. Maybe the result is different. I don't know. What I do know is that the Rams were absolutely all over Seattle. We also knew, by the way, and continuing a trend of where we were right, we knew that Mike Tomlin was under the most pressure of anyone this weekend as a head coach, and now people are calling for his job. They don't like that he punted on 4th and 1 at the, the Browns you know, 40 or whatever it was yesterday, and, and this could be it for Pittsburgh. We don't know which way they'll go from here on out. Ben Roethlisberger might retire. We don't know what's coming. They're calling for Tomlin's job in some circles. Big Ben, they're calling for him to retire. They've got a lot of big uh, decisions to come in free agency. I mean, but to lose that game, that's in the future. In the now, to lose that game against your division rival, who you have dominated for 20 years, who didn't even have their head coach in the building, that is embarrassing. You come out and you look un, you know, you look unbuttoned. You look unprepared. You turn it over five times and you get just your doors blown in by your division rival who's been a doormat for 20 years, that is a problem there for Mike Tomlin. We knew he was under the most pressure, and it showed, and the heat is ratcheted up now. We also knew Lamar Jackson was the player under the most pressure. He was the quarterback under the most pressure, and he answered the bell, okay? He answered the bell. We were right on that. We knew Saints-Bears would be the, the worst game of the weekend. I'm glad that I, you know, I, I was in and out. I was watching the Nick broadcast. I'm watching the CBS broadcast. I'm eating. I'm heating up all this food. I'm like, you know what? This is the game to do some other things during. And it was ugly. Mitch Trubisky in the playoffs, meh. Taysom Hill, they keep trying to force feed me Taysom Hill in New Orleans. I didn't need to see a lot of that. It was ugly. We knew it would be. So uh, we were pretty much dead on in this. We were pretty much dead on on this wild card weekend. We were also right that we don't know what's up with Alex Smith. And we said we'd come in on Monday and our under-the-radar storyline would be what's up with Washington and what's up with Alex Smith. Just not sure. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Unpacking the weekend. Number two. The Red Sox are reportedly in serious talks, in quotes, about trading Andrew Benintendi. We're going to get to that with Tom Karen when he joins us in about five minutes. But this is, this is surprising to me. Not that they might be interested in trading Benintendi, but why would you want to do it now? He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of trade value right now, does he? Okay, 
he doesn't have a whole lot of value. We spoke to Lou Merloni, former Red Sox infielder. We spoke to him back on November 11th. November 11th, we spoke to Lou Merloni. No, November 12th, and he talked to us about Benatendi. Listen to, the, listen to what Lou says about Benatendi back in November, two months ago to the day almost. I think the big problem is he doesn't know what he is, you know, and, and like you said, we saw what he looked like his rookie year. I like to think he's more of that guy, you know, but he, he put on some weight to try to add power and strength um, the year before, and he lost his athletic ability. Last year was supposed to be a turnaround, and obviously it didn't go well in the other so um, he's not a guy you can move right now, that's for sure. He's not a guy you can move right now. I agree with Lou. He missed nearly all of last season with injury. He had a down year in 2019. If you want to sell off pieces because you won't compete, then that's okay. But isn't J.D. Martinez more valuable on the market right now? Isn't Eduardo Rodriguez more valuable on the market right now? Andrew Benatendi is a depreciated asset at this point. It feels to me... Like, he's most valuable to the Red Sox at this point because he either plays well for you, and that's great, or he plays well for you, reestablishes some value, and you trade him at the trade deadline. It feels like if you trade Benatendi right now, you are selling low. He's not expensive. He's still young. He's got time to rebuild this value. He's got two years left on his contract. This, this isn't some flailing asset you have to deal in a money drop. This is a player that can be more useful to you right now if he stays on your roster than if you trade them. Unpacking the weekend. Number three. Number three, the NBA season is a mess. The Celtics were postponed last night against Miami. They're postponed tomorrow night against Chicago. We also saw Dallas and New Orleans canceled uh, as well. Um, this is ugly. This is bad. Sources say that uh, there's an NBA board of governors meeting tomorrow. They're going to talk about this season. They're considering a 7-14 to 14 day pause amidst the growing rate of positive cases within the league. Um, the NBA was always going to have was always going to be at a disadvantage. This is the problem they face. They are playing so frequently that if you start missing guys and you're talking that they're out for a week, they're out for two weeks. You're talking about multiple games being impacted and the competitive integrity of the season being impacted. Football plays once a week, so guys have a chance to get healthy or maybe only miss a game. Baseball, there's a 25-man roster. You have alternatives. They have the alternative site, the the taxi squad that could come up here. You have deeper rosters. The NHL has some organizational depth with the AHL. The NBA doesn't have that a lot. You know, not everyone in the G League is playing. Less players available for you to be able to bring up. This this is tough. I'll be very interested to see what happens. But it, there's no guarantee that if they pause the NBA season for seven days or 14 days, there's no guarantee that things end up being all hunky-dory because, okay, fine, they don't play. But then guys go back into regular communities and regular lives, and they go do regular things, and you just don't know what's going to happen while they're on pause from the league. So uh, it is a difficult situation right now for the NBA to navigate. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Jason Tatum was named Player of the Week, by the way, in the NBA along with Luka Doncic, but who knows when the Celtics are going to play again, and we would wish Tatum the best because he did test positive for COVID. He has two positive tests, so... We wish him the best. That'll do it for Unpacking the Weekend here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. On the heels of Unpacking the Weekend, the Red Sox are reportedly thinking of trading Andrew Benatendi. How serious, in quotes, are these serious talks? 
Red Sox, Bruins insider, Tom Karen of Nesson. He's going to join me next. What's the latest on Ben attending these trade rumors? That's up on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and streaming on the WDEV radio app. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Monday after Wild Card Weekend in the NFL, but also some baseball nuggets that dropped over the weekend to help me break down everything. A guy I've talked to hundreds of times, but never on this station, never on this show. So welcome to the Brady Farkas Show. Tom Karen of Nesson, Red Sox Bruins insider, St. Michael's College graduate, Vermont aficionado. TC, how are you? Brady, great. How you doing? Good, good, good. It's good to talk to you on my new venture. And, um, you know, let me start with this. It's, it's, a, it's an open-ended question, but I think it's a good one. Who do you have more optimism about right now, the Patriots or the Red Sox? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, wow, that's a good question. I, uh, can, I, can I absolutely straddle the fence on this? Absolutely. The, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a draw in my mind. I... I my knee-jerk reaction would be Red Sox only because I feel they're a year, a season further along in the process of, uh, of bottoming out. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do think there's something to be said for it. It might be a little easier to turn things around quicker in the NFL. You know, I, I think the Patriots were the quarterback and getting some of those uh, defensive players who, who were opted out getting them all back, puts them back. The Red Sox have some real work to do on the pitching front. Uh, even if they get Erod back and then eventually Chris Sale back, uh, they need to add a couple of guys this offseason. The good news for the Red Sox is nobody's doing anything on the free yeah. agent market, so all those free agents are still out there. So they can rebuild. You know, where do you think the Red Sox are right now? Because every week breeds a new rumor. They're big-time players for Odorizzi. They're in on DJ LeMayhew. In the next breath, they're trading Andrew Benatendi. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Where are they right now? Well, they're definitely not sellers, and, and the talk of Ben and Tendy is really just about repositioning the, the assets. They know they need pitching. They want to do more on the pitching side, and frankly, the Andrew Ben and Tendy's been a disappointment since that one terrific year in 2018. So that's not about selling off uh, an asset like they did with Mookie Betts and David Price. Uh, that's about trying to make themselves better. And, and so they're definitely... I don't want to say buyers. Buyers, to me, indicates a team that's going for it and is all in. They're not there yet, but they are, they are adding pieces. But we've heard it time and again from Hyam Bloom. He's not adding, you know, a 37-year-old for the next two, three years. He's adding guys that he thinks can help the long-term three- to five-year plan. Uh, I talked to Alex Cora maybe two weeks ago now, and, and, and he had an interesting quote. He said, we are in on everybody when it comes to pitching. Any pitcher out there, any pitcher available via trade, we are in on those discussions. So they know they need big pitching help. Uh, they struck out on Sagano, the Japanese pitcher, who I thought would have been a good fit here, but clearly he wanted more because he's going back to Japan. Nobody signed him. They're in on Jake Odorizzi, who would be a good middle-of-the-rotation fit for this group and has familiarity with Ian Bloom from his days in Tampa. So uh, there's going to be a couple of pitchers added to this group. Uh, and then you hope, as I said, that Erod comes back healthy for a full season and maybe you get Chris Sale back at the All-Star break. Do you think that Hyam Bloom wanted to rehire Alex Cora, or did hiring Alex Cora just kind of give him uh, the organizational backing needed to kind of execute his plan? 
No, I, I don't think it was either of those, actually. I, hmm. From what I've heard, and and, and talking to, to Heim Bloom <clears throat> in depth about this, uh, he I, I don't think he was going to hire Alex Gore. So it, 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 did Alex Gore, I'm sorry, did Heim Bloom want to hire Alex Gore? No, I don't think he did. He flew down Puerto Rico, met with uh, met with Alex Cora, and, and Alex Cora, from what I understand, really kind of won the job over. Now, make no mistake, the other half of your question, there was a ton of organizational support for him. So it wasn't difficult once Alex Cora convinced High and Bloom he could come back and do this job. But as I understand it, the organization, you know, again, they were hoping it would play out this way, but they never told High and Bloom to go hire Alex Cora. They wanted him to meet with Alex Cora as one of the candidates. And from what I understand, uh, the odds were against High uh, and Bloom wanting Cora. But when they met, Cora's an impressive guy. He's an impressive manager. Uh, and he has said all the right things about the uh, the accountability and the mistakes he made in Houston. I think he won over High and Bloom. And from that point on, it was easy because he knew, uh, Bloom knew that the organization would be thrilled. All this talk is great about free agents and Cora and Bloom and all that, but what about the season itself? I mean, spring training is about supposed to start like a month from today, and I have no idea if that's going to happen. What's your read on the season as a whole right uh, now? Yeah, it's hard to imagine it starts on time, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but they keep saying uh, that that's where they are right now, and if you read the collective bargaining agreement, it's really hard. The, the force majeure clause, the, the act of nature, the act of God clause, uh, that baseball has, uh, like so much of baseball, is very archaic, uh, not updated, uh, and doesn't give the owners a whole lot of room to cancel a season or games or anything unless it is deemed by state or federal government that uh, it's unsafe to play. Now, that could happen, and I think there's a real chance that it will happen, uh, especially when you start talking about uh, 15 teams showing up in Florida in a few weeks. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine that's going to happen seems to me that if you waited a month, if you pushed it back a month, that would give everybody a whole lot more time, a whole lot more opportunity to get closer to a, to a place where we're getting vaccines, to get closer to a place where we're through the holiday surge. Uh, but, but right now, they're saying that they are going to be there on time, and they kind of have to say that because the players, by the contract, by the collective bargaining agreement, are entitled to a full season uh, unless, again, there is... Uh, yeah, and, and I think... Part of this could play out when, when you get the, the, the change over to the Biden administration. A lot of talk that, that he will want to restrict a lot of things for the first couple of months to really try to get through the final surge. Uh, and that could give baseball the opportunity it needs to say we're going to hold off a month before starting the season. Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to switch over to the Bruins, and their season starts this week, and they're going to do it for the first time in 14 years without Zdeno Chara. Were you surprised that Chara, if he was going to come back, it wasn't in Boston? For the money, it was, it was surprising because he didn't sign for a lot, under 800000 so it certainly wasn't uh, – uh, onerous uh, for the Bruins to fit him in under the salary cap, even though they don't have a ton of room. Uh, it was clearly a case of uh, differing opinions on what he has left. Don Sweeney didn't think he was a guy who could play back-to-back nights, and they've got a lot of those this year. They're basically playing every other day uh, for the better part of four months, if you look at the schedule. Uh, they thought that, that at his age, he'll turn 44 in March, uh, that he wasn't going to be able to handle the workload, that they'd really have to manage it. And if he was willing to take that reduced role, if he was willing 
to to help them with the managing of his time, I think he'd be back in black and gold. But he started working out. He said he wanted to take inventory of how he felt and what he felt he could do. And and his quote was, I, I still got a lot left in the tank. And he thought he had more than, than the Bruins wanted from him. So he went somewhere that he thinks he can play more. Simple as that. You know, we've seen what's happened in the NBA and specifically with the Celtics where their game last night was postponed against Miami because of all the COVID protocol stuff and Jason Tatum tested positive. Uh, Are you worried about that in the NHL, another indoor sport where there's a lot of close contacts? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, this isn't a bubble. We saw the NFL and some of the NFL got through it. We saw baseball. You know, with the Yankees played 11 games in the last seven days. You had seven inning doubleheaders left and right. Uh, You know, Competitive integrity is so 2019. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't uh, we don't really we don't care about that right now when we talk about the pro sports. It's just about getting through the schedule. I'm amazed we're going to have a college football championship tonight. Uh, I'm not sure that was worth it because uh, it, it's hard to even look at this college football season and call it a season. Yeah. But here we are, and we'll all have something to gather around tonight. And I guess that's the point of all this. So yeah, I'm very concerned that that hockey will have its shutdowns. I mean, they are. They are restricting travel. You know, you, you'll be just in that one little uh, corporate-sponsored division that you play, and that's uh, those are the only teams you play this year. So they'll, they'll try to mitigate the transmission that way. Uh, but, you know, you, like you said, the Celtics canceled last night. Uh, barely would have had enough players to play. Uh, you know, but we've seen, we've seen football games with no quarterbacks and no coaches and no everything, so nothing should surprise us. You know, I'll get you out of here on this. You know, again, you and I have spoken hundreds of times, so I've heard this, but it's a whole new audience that we're speaking to now. So uh, give us a little bit of your uh, your affinity for Vermont. Give us your Vermont love story here. Oh, come on. I was St. Michael's graduate, uh, first job out of college with WPTV. Uh, spent a couple years working at Channel 5 up in Plattsburgh and, and Burlington. Uh, my wife went to UVM. My son graduated from UVM a year ago, and and works up in Essex now and uh, lives up there uh, and absolutely loves it. Uh, so, so we absolutely love Vermont. Uh, technically, I said my first job was Channel 5. My first job was the Barry Montpelier Times Argus. Hmm. Uh, but then I jumped to Channel 5 quickly. So my first job was technically in a newspaper. Uh, but we love Vermont. We get back whenever we can, which right now isn't very easy to do. But as soon as, uh, as, soon as things are lifted a little bit, we'll be back in Vermont. Uh, it's just I'm a Maine guy. Uh, I've always felt an affinity with northern New England, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just it's one of my favorite places and, uh, and always will be. Well, we're glad to hear that. Look forward to you getting back up here soon. Look forward to watching you, uh, you know, cover the Red Sox and cover the Bees here as we start brewing season in a couple of days and hopefully Red Sox spring training here about a month from now. We'll wait and see on that. Tom Karen of Nesson TC, as always, we appreciate it. You're always welcome on this show, on this station. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate you. All right. Appreciate you as well. Always good to talk to TC. Again, a guy that uh, I've talked to hundreds of times, but never here. One of the best. So uh, love watching him on Nesson. Does great work, him and all his teammates at the New England Sports Network. And we'll definitely get him on again more. What we'll do is we will step aside here, get the national news update from CBS News. We'll have our TC takeaways on the other side of 6 o'clock. But first, before, before we get to the TC takeaways, if this weekend – didn't make it clear which way the Patriots need to go in their approach. I can't help you. The answers for the Patriots' future, they are right there in front of you. You saw it not once, not twice, not three times. 
You saw it like four times this weekend. The answer for the Patriots, the answers to the test are right in front of you. The Patriots' future. The decision is easy. Which way do you go? The answers, they're easy. They're coming up next here after the national news update from CBS News right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and streaming on the WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You can subscribe to the full show podcast thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber online at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Tom Karen for joining us from Nesson. We'll get to our takeaways with TC in a couple of minutes. If you want to text in, 802-585-3026, 802-585-3026. Dean from Washington, D.C., formerly of South Burlington, says the Patriots need to go get Matthew Stafford. That's the plan that they should do. They should simplify the playbook and trade up to go get Devontae Smith, the wide receiver at Alabama, or Jalen Waddell, and they should also draft a tight end. Oh, is that all? Is that all you want them to do, Dean, is trade for Matthew Stafford, give up assets and bring on big money, and then also go and acquire the top wide receiver in the draft? To do that, you're going to have to get to about number three in the draft. That is not going to happen. They do need help at wide receiver. They do need to draft them. They're not going to get Devontae Smith. But I do have the Patriots' plan, and it came into into focus so clearly this week, and I have been saying this for weeks, that this is the way the Patriots need to rebuild themselves, and you saw it on full display. So allow me to present to you the proof that the Patriots need to do what I've been saying all along, draft and develop a young quarterback. Trade up if you have to, but get the quarterback and do it, and do it now. Look at the teams that won. Dean, you want Matthew Stafford. I love Matthew Stafford. That's not the way you're going to win in the NFL. Look at the teams that won. Nearly all of them have a quarterback on a rookie deal or a Hall of Famer. The Patriots are not in a position to get a Hall of Famer. Russell Wilson's not available. Aaron Rodgers is not available. Tom Brady's not coming back. Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, you probably wouldn't want those guys right now, but... The, the, the key is there. The teams that won have quarterbacks on rookie deals or they are Hall of Famers for all cases except for one. Okay, Josh Allen, rookie deal in Buffalo. Team gets Stephon Diggs, signs Tredavious White, can pay Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, can bring in a Josh Norman cheaply, can sign Cole Beasley, Beasley becomes an all-pro. Quarterback, rookie deal, open the window, go for it. Yeah, you've got to get the quarterback right, and everybody's fearful of getting the quarterback wrong. You've got to go for it. I understand the New York Jets may not have gotten it right with with Sam Darnold. You may fear the New York Giants didn't get didn't get it right with Daniel Jones. You may think the Dolphins didn't get it right with Tua. You got to get the quarterback right. That's a, that's a given. But when you get it right, it is so right for your building process and for your future. Buffalo, Josh Allen, rookie deal. Cleveland, Baker Mayfield, rookie deal. Look at what Cleveland can do with all of the cap space that they've had available to them the last couple of years. They can get Jarvis Landry in a trade. They can sign Kareem Hunt. They can trade for Olivier Vernon. They can lock up Miles Garrett and retain him. Heck, they traded for Odell Beckham Jr. He's out for the season, and they can overcome it. 
because of how much other cap flexibility they had. How many other teams can overcome the loss of a super talented player, of arguably their most skilled offensive player? Who can do that? Only teams with flexible cap space. And teams who have flexible cap space have cheap quarterbacks. This is the blueprint. I've been telling you for weeks, and now you've seen it in the playoffs. Look at the rest of the AFC. Lamar Jackson wins. Rookie deal. The team can have Mark Andrews at tight end. They can have Mark Ingram at running back, who didn't even play yesterday. or uh, Yeah, yesterday. But they can have him. And he can be a big part of the last couple of years of the regular season. They can, Marcus Peters, who has the game ceiling interception, they can bring him over from the Rams. They can make that deal and they can pay him. They can lock up Marlon Humphrey. Heck, even the Earl Thomas craziness from earlier this year, who they had to cut, they can absorb that loss. They can sign him in the first place and they can absorb that loss because they are allowed to have depth. Why can they have depth? Payroll flexibility. Cheap quarterback you got to get the quarterback right. We know that. Don't be afraid of making the mistake. Go get the quarterback now. Because Matthew Stafford's good. He's not on a rookie deal, and he's not a Hall of Famer. And that's what it takes to win in the playoffs right now. Matt Ryan is good. God, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer right now. Jimmy Garoppolo's good. He's not a Hall of Famer. I'm not bringing in an expensive middleman. You're either a Hall of Famer or you're on a rookie deal and that's how you're winning. No one that you're giving me is that. The Chiefs we're going to see next weekend. Patrick Mahomes is still on a rookie deal. Everybody fixates on the $500 million deal that he's got coming. He does have it coming. It won't. His team won't look like this around him forever but it looks like it now. The extension hasn't kicked in. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, they can stay. They can bring in Tyron Matthew. They can trade for Frank Clark. They can lock up Chris Jones. I'm giving you a lot of names, a lot of names of pro bowlers, of all pros, of guys that these teams can get because they got the quarterback right. They got him in the draft, and they can do it, and they just go for it. And if you don't believe me, believe somebody much smarter than me about football and about radio, Colin Coward of Fox Sports. He agrees with everything I just said. Last few years, Baker's on a rookie contract. That's how it works. Jared Goff on a rookie contract. Carson Wentz on a rookie contract. Philadelphia can spend more money on free agents. Patrick Mahomes on a rookie contract. Lamar Jackson on a rookie contract. If you look at who's left in the playoffs, it's quarterbacks on rookie contracts or legends. Josh Allen on a rookie contract. You can spend more on a Stephon Diggs. Everything I just said, if you don't want to believe me, believe Colin. He's been doing it for 30 years. and He's been doing it at a really high level. If you don't want to believe me, believe him. The entire AFC is quarterbacks on rookie contracts. There's a reason. Okay, Ben Roethlisberger didn't win. He's making a lot of money. Steelers are lacking in some areas. Okay, Russell Wilson didn't win. He's making a lot of money. Seahawks are lacking in some areas. Drew Brees, I don't think the Saints, I, I, I've been picking the Saints to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to win it. Drew Brees makes a lot of money. They're going to be lacking in some areas. These high-profile quarterbacks, and, and look, and even if Breeze wins it, he's in the Hall of Fame category. I think he's probably not going to be able to beat Aaron Rodgers if he gets there, but he's in the Hall of Fame category. Look, look at the NFC. Brady and Breeze win; they're Hall of Famers. Aaron Rodgers is there; he's a Hall of Famer. 
The only one who bucks the trend is Jared Goff. He's the only one. Russell Wilson should have won that game, but he didn't. Seattle should have won that game. They were better than the Rams. They had just beaten the Rams a little bit earlier. The Rams dominated. Seven of the eight quarterbacks are Hall of Famers or on rookie deals. This is the plan. Like the, the answers are in front of you. You've got we of course, if you have an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or you had a Tom Brady, you lock him up and you want him there forever. And you want him to be the Hall of Famer. And you can win that way. But in order to get them to that point, you got to draft them, develop them and keep them. And put talent around them. And that's what the Patriots need to do. That is what the Patriots need to do. Okay? And by the way, young like young quarterbacks can come in now and play well. They can come in now and they can contribute right away. There's more access to information for these guys. They, they go to camps. They get better. They play in the offseason at a rate they never played before. They're gen- there's a better general knowledge of the game. These guys are better athletes. They can run around and be mobile and learn some of the stuff on the fly. If there's one thing that Flutie has taught me, he's taught me a bunch but when we did, you know, we're done with Daily Dose of Doug, unfortunately. Sorry to say. But I learned so much from him. You do need to be an athlete. And it's easier now to play quarterback at a young age. He came in the league. He had to sit for three years just to learn fronts and coverages. You don't need that anymore. So when you draft a guy in the first round and you've got a five-year window with him, you can the year one can be your growing pains. And year two through five, boom, we are in it. Year three, Josh Allen. Year three, Baker Mayfield. We're in the divisional round of the playoffs. They've each won a playoff game. Josh Allen's won a division. Jared Goff got to the Super Bowl in year three of his career. This is how it's done. Is there anybody on the text line who disagrees with me? Dean says, hey, I want Matthew Stafford. Dean, I hope I've changed your mind. This is how it's done. Buy into it. Believe it. 802-585-3026. And... Like now we're on this thing with the Patriots where every quarterback who is potentially available or is a free agent, we're going to look at and evaluate. The Taylor Heineke story is nice. Taylor Heineke from Washington the other day battles with Tom Brady. They lose by eight. He goes 26 of 44. He plays hard. And now everybody wants to think of, oh, can Taylor Heineke be the quarterback of the future for the New England Patriots? Can he be that guy? He's not going to be my guy. Okay, he's not. I want to go back to the Super Bowl. Okay, if he comes to New England, he's a nice story who's a good Band-Aid. I want to get back to the Super Bowl, and I want to win it. Taylor Heineke is not getting me there. Look at the quarterbacks who were left. Six of the eight are first-round picks. Okay, Tom Brady's the greatest outlier in sports history, I would imagine. Okay, pick number 199. Drew Brees, who's the only other one that wasn't a first-round pick, was picked the first pick of the second round. You win with the first-round quarterback, with the five years of team control on the rookie deal. That's it. That's now. That is football now. Do it. Embrace it. Be about it. Rip the Band-Aid off and go for it. And don't be afraid to be wrong. you got to take the chance because you know what? If you if you draft a quarterback and he's not the guy and it sets you back two years, okay, you know what else will set you back two years? Playing two more years with Tyrod Taylor in this roster. Playing with Taylor Henneke in this roster. If you go for it and you're wrong like like Arizona was with Josh Rosen, okay. 
Rectify it and move on. Rectify it and move on. Dean comes back at me again and says, Brady, maybe they can take Kyle Trask of Florida at 15. Maybe they can. Maybe they can. There's going to be a bunch of quarterbacks that go early. Fields is going to go in the first round. Lawrence is going in the first round. Uh, Wilson's going in the first round. Trask might go. Mac Jones might go. Like, and Trey Lance is going to go. That, that might be six quarterbacks in the first round. Get one of them. Trade up if you have to. Get the right one. And let's go for it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Six of the eight quarterbacks still playing this weekend are first-round picks. Baker Mayfield was number one. Jared Goff was number one. Aaron Rodgers was in the 20s. Mahomes was in the, uh, you know, in that mid-first round. Allen was in the top 10. And who am I missing? Somebody pointed out to me who I'm missing here. But, uh, you know, Brady and Breeze, I know. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, you know, I got to look and see who I'm missing. But six of the eight first-round picks, first six of the eight quarterbacks remaining were first-round picks. I mean, you just... That's it. That's how the game is played. Brady Farkas show. All right, biggest takeaways from our Tom Karen interview. TC, Red Sox Bruins insider at Nesson was with us here a little while ago. And we asked him, the Red Sox are looking into trading Andrew Benintendi. It's, quote, they're in, quote, serious discussions. How serious are those discussions? TC, what do you think about the idea of a Benintendi trade? Well, they're definitely not sellers, and and the talk of Benintendi is really just about repositioning the the assets. They know they need pitching. They want to do more on the pitching side, and frankly, Andrew Benintendi's been a disappointment since that one terrific year in 2018. So that's not about selling off uh, an asset like they did with Mookie Betts and David Price. Uh, That's about trying to make themselves better. Well, I I disagree with this move. It's not that I... Don't ever want to trade Benatendi. That's not that. That's not this. I'd argue that tr- that keeping Benatendi actually makes me better. Listen, hear me out. And you can comment 802-585-3026. Should the Red Sox be looking into seriously trading Andrew Benatendi? I'd argue keeping Benatendi now makes you better. If Benatendi is is there, if he's in Boston and he's good, the team's offense is strong. Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, Verdugo, Vasquez, and a good Benintendi? That's a really strong offense, which you're going to need given the, the warts of the pitching staff. If Benintendi is good early in the season and you want to move him, move him later. Like, move him at the deadline. Move him in June if you want. But if you're going to, if there's a team out there that thinks that Andrew Benintendi can help them win a World Series title, you can, that price is raised. If Benintendi plays well, and an urgent team that wants to win a title goes after him, you can get more. Like right now, Benatendi has no real value on the market to me. He's young with potential, but for somebody who's acquiring him, he's a reclamation project. And what is a reclamation project fetching me if I'm the Red Sox? Well, it's fetching me a couple of prospects that aren't going to help me right away. Like the Red Sox do need to rebuild the farm system, but Andrew Benatendi has been a starting outfielder now for like three years. He should fetch more than a couple of 20-year-old, you know, double-A pitchers who had their whole season canceled last year. I'm I'm holding out there for better. Because Ben is going to get great for me and he's going to help my team play well. Or he's going to be great and I'm going to ship him off for a better price. I want a major league player if I'm trading Andrew Benintendi. I don't want a couple of 20-year-olds. I want a young, controllable, major league player. I don't want to wait 
six years. This is the Red Sox. This is not the Orioles. This is not the Mariners. This is not the Texas Rangers. This is the Boston Red Sox. And if I'm trading a starting outfielder of three-plus years, I'm getting back somebody who helps me today. Somebody who I don't have to wait on. Sox need plenty of prospects across all levels. They need some prospects at the upper minors and ready to contribute right away. And that's what I'm getting if I'm trading Andrew Benintendi. Like, and if you keep him and he's bad, that's a risk I'm willing to take. He's under contract for two more years at a really modest price. I'd rather just keep him than trade him for what I don't think is enough. Okay, There's something in there with Benintendi. We've seen it before in 2018. Let's hope that Alex Cora can get it back because if he does, then there's something really useful there, either to me or to somebody else. But right now, trading him would be trading him awfully low at a really depreciated value. He doesn't cost that much money. I don't need a salary dump. Take the chance. If he's going to be good, then he's going to help me in one way or the other. And if he's bad, then he doesn't cost that much. And I'd rather take that gamble than send him out for a couple of 20-year-olds who haven't played. It's the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So, spring training is supposed to start in about a month. Teams go down to Florida always right around Valentine's Day is when the first workout is. Valentine's Day is February 14th. Today is January 11th. Last Monday, Buster Olney of ESPN said he, he thinks we could miss anywhere between 40 and 100 games, and I got really freaked out. Then I read a story in The Athletic that says, hey, you know what? These players, they're going to get a full 162 whether the owners want to play or not. So I asked TC. I'm like, TC, break the tie, man. Where are we at? If you read the collective bargaining agreement, it's really hard. The the force majeure clause, the, the act of nature, the act of God clause uh, that baseball has, uh, like so much of baseball, is very archaic, uh, not updated, uh, and doesn't give the owners a whole lot of room to cancel a season or games or anything unless it is deemed by state or federal government that uh, it's unsafe to play. Now, that could happen, and I think there's a real chance that will happen. Okay, so basically, here's the skinny. The owners want to push the season. The owners want to lop games off the season, or they want to at least delay the season as much as possible because they don't want to play games without fans. No fans, no revenue. They don't want to pay players full salaries and have no fans. The players say, hey, we proved we could play last year. I see football playing around us. I see baseball or basketball playing around us. I see college basketball playing around us. I see the, the NHL playing around us. We proved we could do it. We're playing. We're playing all 162, and you're going to pay us for all 162. So the owners, based on the collective bargaining agreement, really don't have legal ground to stand on to push the season and not pay the players. What TC says is, as I understand it, state or federal government can mandate a shutdown, essentially. If Florida or Arizona get shut down and teams can't go to spring training, well, then you can't have a season the way you want to. Somebody on the text line, 802-585-3026, somebody out there knows politics far better than me. I do the afternoon news service. I do the midday news service. I don't do politics. I do news. I don't do politics. Someone there, someone out there knows about President-elect Joe Biden's policies when it comes to shutting things down. Share them with me because I have a hard time imagining that Joe Biden is going to call for a shutdown 
so drastic that it's going to shut down professional sports and that it's going to impact baseball. When he takes office on January 20th, he's going to inherit a country that's on the eve of Super Bowl Sunday. He is not shutting down the country with Super Bowl Sunday two weeks out. He is absolutely not doing that. I know nothing about politics. I have firm belief he's not shutting down that. He's going to inherit a country that's already playing in the NBA and the NHL. I just can't see him shutting those things down already in progress. The Canadian government, like Montreal or Quebec, is on full lockdown. Like, don't leave your house locked down. The NHL season starts in two days. They're playing. I don't think that Joe Biden's going to come in and put, you know, America on that level of lockdown and then also shut down sports. If Canada can do it on full lockdown, then the U.S. is going to be able to do it. And and I don't think that President-elect Biden can say, hey, football, basketball, and hockey, you're going to play, but baseball, we're not going to be able to start you on time. Baseball is arguably the safest of all of them. It's in better weather. It's outdoors. It's the most socially distant and the less contact, the least amount of contact with each other. I just can't do it. I just can't see it. Okay? What the Biden team needs to work on is the vaccine distribution and the, the speed and all that and the numbers. But, I mean, as of now, I am planning on baseball playing a good portion of its schedule. The owners want to push it, but I see baseball playing. And I was really nervous last week. But after hearing TC and after reading the story and just thinking about what might be going through Joe Biden's mind, I don't think he's going to shut down the country to the point that we can't have baseball start on time. It's supposed to start in a month. Maybe it starts a month and two weeks. Maybe we miss a little bit of time. But right now, the players are planning on it. And I'm planning on a 162 game season also. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every day. We're moving it around, though, here because of uh, just kind of how our show is going to go as we're out of Patriots season. No more daily dose of Doug, as much as I love talking to Flutie. Flutie got a big deal at Sirius XM. So our Patriots podcast is going to be on hold because he's going to be doing some stuff at uh, Sirius XM. I'll keep doing the podcast, but Flutie's going to be out uh, for a bit. So we're moving around. Who's saying what? It's going to happen right here every single day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. All right. Um, you know, Todd Woodcroft, UVM men's hockey coach in his first year, Catamounts lose in game two of their series this weekend to Maine. They won in game one. They lose in game two. Here was Todd Woodcroft after the game, after a 4-3 loss to uh, the Black Bears. If you are not that player, you will not be playing on this team. Be quite clear about that to the players on Monday. If you are not prepared to make hard decisions with the puck and play in hard areas, you will not be in this roster. I can promise you that. You read into that comment in one way and one way only. That is a message for the young players on this team, no doubt about it. That's a comment about setting the tone for the future and I love it. He says, if you aren't willing to do these things, you will not be part of this program. It's honest. It's direct. Everything that Todd Woodcroft has said to us is about creating a professional program and a professional culture. This is what happens in the pros. 
You play poorly, you get ripped in the media, and you get the message. Welcome to the show, kids. This is UVM Hockey now. This message is not for the seniors. This is for the guys who are young on this roster who are trying to build, and this is for the recruits who are out there so they know that Woodcroft means business and that the program means business. This was about a message. Okay, Todd Woodcroft inherited a program that won two games in Hockey East last year. It's one thing for him to take a moral victory out of a loss to number 15 Providence or to lose to BU or BC. You can take some moral victories out of that. You're not supposed to win those games. But Maine came in winless. UVM was at home. There was finally a weekend where Todd Woodcroft felt like his team should win. They won on Friday. They didn't back it up. They didn't sweep. This was a message about not forgetting to grind, not forgetting about the struggle, not to not forget about culture building, to not think that you're better than you are and that you can beat a team on Friday and just show up and win again on Saturday. Okay, The other team doesn't lay down. Maine got up 3-0, so Woodcroft is sending a message like, that, that is not how this program is going to go. I love it. I think it's great. I think it was great use of the media, great use of, of uh, Woodcroft sending a professional-style message to his team. And, you know, the seniors will hear it, and they'll continue to play hard and pass the messaging down to the young players. But this is for the young guys. This was for the uh, Dovar Tinlings and the Will Zappernicks of the world. This is for the young guys. This is about guys who may be here in the future and want to be pro players, that this is how it is done. You don't just show up on Friday and win and think you can just waltz in, put your skates on five minutes before the game and win again on Saturday. I love it. Whew. All right, that was a long segment. So, uh, all right, coming up next, I've told you. I've given you the blueprint. I've told you the Patriots need to draft a quarterback. Is that quarterback of the future playing tonight? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and also streaming on the WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You can always get in, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Bill Belichick and some controversy. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But first, Justin Fields is going to take the field tonight for Ohio State against Alabama. Is he the Patriots' quarterback of the future? Now, I mean, he was supposed to be taken in the top, like, three of the draft. So the Patriots are picking 15. So what's going to happen to make all this come together? Todd McShay, ESPN NFL draft analyst, he's actually got Fields going to the Pats at number 15. What? I had him going 15 to the Patriots, and I, I really struggled with it, honestly. You know, you look at four with Atlanta, is, a, is certainly a possibility. Uh, but I had Zach Wilson going there for the BYU quarterback. Uh, but I, I want up putting him in 15. I'm just I, I think he has more developing to do. I see the talent. He obviously is big, strong, smart. He's got a strong arm and, and has all the uh, just about everything you look for. But I think processing and getting through his reads has been an issue. First off. If this happened, Patriots fans should count their lucky stars. There's no way that Justin Fields is going to be the number 15 pick in the draft. And if they if he did land at 15, count your lucky stars because you're going to get the quarterback of the future and you're not going to have to give up any assets to get there other than your draft pick. Like that would be you talk about best case scenario, that would be the best case scenario. 
Fields offers a big arm, big playability. He's got the size and the speed. That look, If the Pats like some of what they did with Cam this year, they'd be able to play that style with Justin Fields, but Fields would be able to throw the football. I mean, that that is what you'd be looking at. You'd have the athletic, the athletic ability of Cam, but you'd have more straight-line speed to be able to even be even more dynamic in the run game, and you'd have a guy that can throw, that has a bigger arm, that is healthy. Like that, that is an absolute home run. And again, you do need to be an athlete to play in the NFL today as a quarterback, at least as a youngster. Okay, if you're Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, you can get away with not being, you know, not needing to be athletic, Tom Brady. But you've got 15 years worth of, you know, 15 years worth of knowledge at your disposal. Uh, disposal. If you are a quarterback now, you step in, you kind of learn, you, you know more than quarterbacks used to know coming in. So you're already, you know, kind of 50% of the way there. Your athleticism gives you another 25%. You're kind of learning the rest of it as you go. It, this would be a home run for the Pats, but I there's just no way that I can see Justin Fields lasting until 15. Like too many teams need a quarterback. Jacksonville needs one. I think the Jets should take Fields. Atlanta could take a quarterback. Detroit could take a quarterback. Denver could take a quarterback. San Francisco could. Carolina could. Like, There's a lot of teams out there that either definitely need or could need quarterbacks, especially if Justin Fields was falling to them. Tonight is a huge night, though, for him. If he plays well, he's absolutely going to catapult. If he goes six touchdowns against Clemson and then beats Bama and plays well, 100% he's in the top four of the draft. I already thought he was number two to the Jets, but if he, you know, if, if Big Shea's got him at 15, he'll catapult into the top four or five with a good night tonight. If he plays poorly, we're going to be prisoners in the moment and think that feels okay. All right, maybe he's not as good as we thought. And you know, I don't want to root against the kid. I want him to just ball out. But if he plays poorly, that is going to help the Patriots because if he does fall then the Pats still might have to trade up to get him, but, you know, they don't have to get to the number five spot. They might be able to get to the number eight spot, you know, and I'm looking at this from a Patriots, you know, a Patriots lens. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. By the way, coverage of that game begins at 7 o'clock. We'll have the kickoff just after 8 right here on your home for the college football playoff. The national championship tonight, Bama and Ohio State. Justin Fields is number one for the Buckeyes. He's going to be the guy that you're going to be watching out for. You know, Justin Fields, by the way, reminds me of Terrell Pryor, you know, big in stature, big shoulders, you know, a top recruit. I think Pryor was the top recruit in the country the year he went to Ohio State out of Pennsylvania. Like Justin Fields is everything that Terrell Pryor was supposed to be. That That's how I feel about Justin Fields. He was everything that Terrell Pryor was supposed to be. And I met Terrell Pryor once. He was a really nice guy. This is when he was playing this is when he was playing for the Jets. I think he had played for Seattle. He was playing for the Jets. He played for Cleveland and had been good as a wide receiver. Um, this is when he was playing wide receiver also. Yeah, I think he was playing for the Jets. But uh, big guy, Terrell Pryor is. Um, all right, we do this every day too. It's got a new eh, – no, this is at the same time slot. But we do it every single day. Crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! 
All right, if you have thought about texting in but never texted in, I'm going to need you to text in now because this is one that is eliciting a lot of reaction in the region, and I need to know how people feel about it. Bob Ryan, legendary sports columnist for the Boston Globe, he says, if this story is true about Bill Belichick accepting a Presidential Medal of Freedom from the disgraced occupant of the White House, Bill Belichick is dead to me. Say it ain't so, Bill. I sincerely hope this is fake news. So Bill Belichick is going to be awarded or has been offered to be awarded, I guess, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's been established, was established by JFK back in the 1960s. And there are a lot of people, Boomer Esiason today on WEEI was calling for uh, Belichick to not accept this award, just basically saying, paraphrasing, with the political climate that we're in, I could not, you know, be with the president and accept an award from him and potentially maybe go to the White House. If Bill Belichick accepts the Presidential Medal of Freedom, do you have a problem with it? 802-585-3026. Do you have a problem with Bill Belichick accepting the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Look, I, and by the way, I don't ever get political on this show. Not one of you, not one person has ever texted in or commented in or seen me in person and said, hey, Brady, what are your views on politics? None of you care, and I like to keep it that way. So I don't love wading into these waters. So I am not going to give my opinion on should he or shouldn't he. I'm just flat out going to tell you that I think Bill Belichick will accept this award, and I don't think it will hurt the Patriots in the future. Okay, I think Bill Belichick will accept this award, and I don't think it will hurt the Patriots in the future. Do you think it will? 802-585-3026. I'll keep you anonymous if you don't want your political thoughts out there, too. That's fine. We go unnamed texture in from Berlin that says, yeah, Brady, I'm with you. This feels like a non-story to me. I didn't say it was a non-story. It just said that I don't, you know, I'm not going to get weight. You know, I just don't think it's going to hurt the Patriots. Uh, we get another text in from uh, Middlebury who says, Brady, I think this. I think Bob Ryan is right. I might have used nicer language, but I just couldn't see myself being photographed with the president at a time like this after what happened last week. A couple, couple of notes on this, okay? I don't know if there will be an in-person ceremony. I don't know that. Annika Sorenstam and Gary Player, the golfers, they received the same award last week. They received the same award Thursday, less than 24 hours after what had happened at the Capitol. And basically, it was a secret ceremony. You know, if there's no picture of Belichick hu hugging Trump or there's no picture of the two sharing smiles or shaking hands, I don't think it's going to come off as a big deal to people around the NFL. Yes, there are people in the NFL that don't like the president. That That is 100% true. But if there's, a, if there's no photographic evidence of this, I don't think it's going to resonate with people. So if it happens in secret, if it happens virtually, I don't think people are going to be as worked up as social media would have me believe they are. Two, Belichick, in my opinion, can easily just write this off as, quote, respecting the office of the president. It doesn't have to be. Him accepting this, in my opinion, doesn't have to be an endorsement of the president. Okay, Belichick is a historical savant. He's known, he's known to be that. He's known to be an ardent military supporter. He grew up in Annapolis. He's got a long love for America. He can easily write this off as supporting the office of the president without su showing support for the person in the office. Belichick has gone to the White House with Patriot teams under George W. Bush. 
He's gone under with Barack Obama in office. He's gone with Donald Trump in office. So his presidential allegiances have never played politics, like have never been involved with the Patriots. He's gone to the White House under three presidents and two parties. And we've never once criticized him for those things. But this one is interesting. So WEEI puts out a poll today. If Bill Belichick accepts this honor, will it affect players who want to come to the Patriots in free agency? Will this have an impact on the team moving forward? I voted in that poll, and I said, no, it won't. I was in the minority by like two to one. If Bill Belichick accepts this award from President Trump, will it impact their ability to land free agents? 802-585-3026. We get an unnamed text in from uh, Enosburg who says, yeah, Brady, I think it will. Players are very into social justice now. Just look at what's going on with Deshaun Watson. He doesn't like Texans' ownership in part because he doesn't like their social justice uh, stances. So, yeah, I think players are acutely aware of what's happening right now. We get another one from, uh, let's see, up in Barry or down in Barry, I guess, says, yeah, Brady, I'm, I'm with the first texter. I think this is a big deal, and I think it will rub – prospective free agents the wrong way. I No, I just don't see it that way, guys. Again, this is not a non-story, but I don't think that this will be something that breaks the Patriots. Bill Belichick has already coached some of the most ardent supporters of social justice and inclusion in the NFL. Okay, The McCordys, James White, Matthew Slater, uh, Julian Edelman, who was going back and forth with Deshaun Jackson about um, the mistreatment of Jew- of Jewish people throughout the course of history. So there are people who have spoken out on social issues across party lines and across racial lines, and Bill Belichick has their respect. That narrative will trump, pardon, and I did not mean for that to be a pun, that will truncate or that will uh, move past an award from the president should he accept it. Okay. He's got a well-known track record of listening to his players and understanding the positions of those around him. It's I think that that is well-known, and that will speak for itself. I mean, and look, Robert Kraft, his company at one point, I think during the first Trump campaign, provided $1 million to Trump's campaign. Like The, the players have signed with the Patriots. They have played for the Patriots. They've accepted paychecks from the Patriots, knowing that Robert Kraft has donated personally to Donald Trump. If that doesn't bother players, I don't think the I don't think Belichick accepting an award from the president will hurt him with the players. Okay, they signed with the Patriots after Robert Kraft had a prostitution sting. Like, could there be a player, a singular player, who looks down upon Belichick if he accepts this award? Yes, there could be one, but by and large. I think Belichick has done a good job at showing he cares about his players and what they care about. And I think that's ultimately what's going to matter here. McCourty, both of them, White, Hightower, Slater, veteran players have seen Bill Belichick understand their positions. And, you know, look, if Robert Kraft can donate a million dollars to President Trump and be known to have, you know, at, at one point, be a good friend of the president, and that hasn't impacted the Patriots, I don't think that this is going to either. So I don't do the should he or should he. I, I don't should he or shouldn't he. I don't do that. All I'm saying is I think that he will do it, 
and I think that he will do it out of respecting the office, and I don't think that it will impact the Patriots. I get another one that says um, this will definitely impact Belichick's standing or the Patriots' standing with prospective players. This is coming from an unprecedented place. You are right. This is unprecedented. What What's happening in the country is unprecedented. Tiger Woods has accepted the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He did it last year. Or he did it, I'm sorry, in tw- yeah, 2020. He did it early in 2020. So he's accepted. And just last week, Gary Player and Annika Sorenstam did too. It, there will definitely be people that talk about this. We will talk about it, I'm sure, when the decision gets made. But I don't think that NFL players are going to hold this against Bill Belichick. He's almost 70 years old, and he's got, um, you know, he's got the good. He's got the belief of his players, and that ultimately is what matters. Same texture says Brady. Everything you're talking about happened before Wednesday. That's true, but. Monica Sorenstam, Gary Player, they accepted it last Thursday, 24 hours or less after what happened. Bill Belichick has all those years of good faith built up with his players. His player, players talk and players spread the word. And, you know, Drew Brees is a guy who this offseason spoke out, you know, said that he would not kneel for the anthem. And his players, his teammates in New Orleans were upset. They hashed it out. Now they're going to the second round of the playoffs together and they're all going to try to win a Super Bowl together. And, you know, I have not heard Drew Brees and his teammates have animosity towards each other all season long. There was early. People moved past it. People got over it. People learned, you know, people realized they could work together. And now the Saints are, you know, a potential Super Bowl favorite in the number two seed in the NFC. It's a good discussion. It's an interesting discussion. And it's a discussion a lot of people are having. We'll continue to have it as we find out what Belichick does. It's the Brady Farkas Show. And WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we'll take a look at the locks. What did I say would happen over the weekend? What actually happened? My record today, <sighs> not reason. He did not tell Nash. He told his teammates that he was okay, and he told someone in the organization what was going on. We do not know what the personal reasons are. But at the very least, I think we all can agree that Kyrie Irving had did not handle this right. If you are not going to play, if you have something going on, you at least owe it to your head coach to make that known. You at least owe it to your head coach. If he's if there's something going on, I hope Kyrie's okay. But you owe it to your head coach. We knew there was going to be something with Kyrie Irving. And I'm not downplaying whatever may be wrong in his life. But you've got to handle it the right way. And Kyrie Irving is 27 years old. He knows at this point you got to at least get in touch with your head coach. Because your head coach can't find out about it right before he goes to talk to the media. Now, I've seen multiple reports that Kyrie didn't want to play because he was really affected by what happened in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. We were all 300 one way or the other by what happened in Washington, D.C. And Kyrie has been a really strong advocate for racial and social justice. I believe, this is my opinion, but based on what I know about Kyrie and based on what I have seen people say, that Kyrie was upset at or is bothered by the response to this protest versus responses to other protests you know, that were led by pro- for prominently, predominantly African-American causes. That is what I believe Kyrie is upset about. And if it bothers him that much, then fine, but you still owe it to your head coach. Ryan Hollins, who is also African-American, former NBA player, has played with Kyrie. He's he's still not okay with this. Kyrie's a, a great guy. I played with him his rookie year. 
but these actions are inexcusable. This is a team that has an opportunity to compete for a championship. And every sign that Kyrie has shown myself, the media, and the NBA world, is that not, that's not a priority for them. If Ky- Kyrie has interests other than basketball, that is okay. I, I am beyond the point where I think when I was younger, I just thought, okay, you know what, you got to be a gym rat. And if you don't love it, then don't play. If you don't love the sport, don't play. If you're not thinking about it 24-7, don't do it. I am beyond that. As I have gotten older, I have evolved out of that thought. Kyrie is allowed to have other interests. He should have other interests. And I'm glad for him that these causes matter to him because George, George is great. And uh, when I first got to Vermont, I didn't realize how big a deal he was. You know, seriously. And George, if you're listening, you know, I think maybe I've told you this. But um, when I first got to Vermont, I worked at Norwich. And this was, you know... This was in 2012. Fall of 2012, I was just a punky 22-year-old who had just graduated college and thought I had everything figured out. And I wasn't doing broadcasting at the time. And I wanted to be, but I wasn't doing it. And, you know, I got introduced to George and told about George. And I thought to myself, okay, this guy, big fish, small pond. Eh, okay. Eh, not that great. Probably not that good. I could probably be better. One day. One day we'll see. No, it's not like that. George is awesome. I was a, I was a punky kid. At the time, I was incredibly wrong on that. So, George, if you've never heard that story, if I didn't tell you that like I think I did, I'm sorry. You are a legend, and uh, we're honored to have you call games on this station and call games in this state, whether it's the Lake Monsters or whether it's high school sports, whether it's other local college sports, whether it's Norwich, your, t- your previous time at UVM. You're an absolute uh, legend in broadcasting, a gentleman and a friend, also somebody who is uh, looking out for – you know, other people in the sports media community, if you opened up a lot of doors and really helped put Vermont and sports media on the map. So if you want to leave a message for George and congratulations to him, you've enjoyed listening to him on this station over the years. I'm sure he would appreciate that. As for Alex, he is awesome as well. Wish him uh, congratulations too. We've had him on this show before back in early November. We did right around state championship weekend of, uh, of high school football season. Works really, really hard. Covers a lot of things and does a great job. So thank you to uh, both of them for their friendship and their support of me and this show, and uh, look forward to having them again again on in the future. College Football National Championship game is going to kick off on the other side of this break. So what's going to happen is we're going to get the update from CBS National News, and then college football playoff. Alabama, Ohio State. Justin Fields is the QB for OSU. Mac Jones for Alabama. One of them could be playing for the Patriots next year we'll see we can hope at least in fields case mac jones good fields i can i can dream about that all right full show podcast available online thanks to tom karen of nesson for joining us that interview as well a lot of good stuff today we'll have even more tomorrow brady farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdevradio.com